This is EdTech God, and I hereby decree that flash talking shall be granted divine status with tools for creative personalization that are truly godlike. You could be more than omnichannel. You could be omniscient like me. Plus, with an independent ad server that covers open web, mobile, and CTV, you don't have to rely on that other big G. So stop praying for a way to get unbiased delivery for your campaigns and visit flashtalking.com slash pod. Tell them AdTech God sent you and you'll get all the PDFs you can read. That's flashtalking.com slash pod. And that's the word of God. Welcome to the AdTech God pod, your window into the world of advertising technology and the people behind it. I'm your host, AdTech God. Welcome, AdTech enthusiasts, to another episode of the AdTech God Pod. I'm your host, AdTech God. This podcast focuses on the people behind the technology, their journeys, their milestones, and their challenges. I believe it is the people that make AdTech great, and without so many hardworking, smart, and dedicated people, we wouldn't be where we are today. On our last episode, I spoke with Joe Zawadzki about the past, present, and the future of not only the industry, but media math. So if you haven't listened, listen to it now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and more. Today, we have a special treat for all of our listeners. Matt Barish is the SVP of Americas and Global Publishing at Index Exchange, and Matt's influence stretches far and wide. Having made his mark on companies like Opera Media Works, Ad Colony, Zeotap, and so many more, the industry sometimes feels like six degrees of separation from Matt Barish and his name resonates with expertise and experience in our industry. I'm absolutely thrilled to dive into today's conversation. So without further delay, let's get into it. Matt Barish, welcome to the AdTech God Pod. Thank you so much for having me, for the very kind and welcoming introduction, and for providing me with this uh, religious experience. I'm very much looking forward to it. Matt, thank you. You have been a supporter Throughout the years, you've seen how this once account has evolved so much. So, so thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. I think, um, you know, we, we met in the Twitterverse. Uh, I guess that's now the Xverse. It sounds scandalous. But, you know, I think this is a big digital sandbox, but it's all about the people, right? And so, you know, when you start to interact with and get to know personalities that seem to have common interests, common themes, common desires, and similar outlooks, you gravitate. And so I think um, in some ways we're kindred spirits. Yeah, I do feel like we have a lot of the same views on things. It's definitely been fun interacting with you on, on X um, and threads and, and LinkedIn. And I think what's, what's been amazing is just watching the friendships I've developed over the last few years really deepen into you know, deeper conversations on the industry and the direction it's heading in and being able to just be open and talk about our opinions of things. So it's been fun. Yeah. I mean, I often say it's a, uh, it's a big internet, but a small world. And, you know, having done this for 25 years, I think about the people I've met, the paths that I've crossed and, you know, the friendships and relationships that I've built. And sometimes it's really kind of astounding to just stop, pause and, and, and reflect on how lucky we are to work in this business. And how good this business has been to many of us 
throughout the course of you know the past 20 or 25 years. Um, that doesn't say it's not a hard business. Let's not say it's hard work. You know, it's rewarding. I think every day, you know, you kind of wake up and you think about what is your purpose. But at the same time, you know, when you start to get to know personalities, people, you know, you mentioned Joe Zawadzki. You know, I remember the first time I met Joe Zawadzki and it was in his Point Dexter days. And, you know, there was an employee there who taught me what the word algorithm meant. I'd never heard it before. And uh, we're going way, way back. But, you know, I think about, you know, the evolution of the relationship I've had with Joe, where I used to be totally in awe of this guy. He was just disruptive and an innovator. And then he became a partner and then he became an advocate. And now I call him a friend. And um, that's really something that I think I really feel fortunate to look around every day and, and be able to say, hey, you know, like this has been what I've done for the better part of 25 years and and the people I've collected along the way and I've gotten to know have really, for the most part, been remarkable. And um, not everyone in every industry can say that. So, Yeah, I think it's amazing. I think, um, I think the friendships I've made have also been over the last you know, 15, 20 years I've been doing this. It's incredible. It's like I mean, people outside of, of the industry ask me, who do you really hang out with? I go, industry friends. But they're just my friends. These are just people I do business with. These are people I talk to. These are people I talk about personal and business topics and have created quite a, a network of personal and professional friends. So it's been amazing. And Matt, I have a question for you, though. You mentioned, you know, Poindexter and, and Joe Zawatsky. And just because of scheduling reasons, by the way, I am interviewing uh, Corey right after you. Um, so index is going to get a lot of exposure over the next uh, 30 days. But how how did you initially get into ad tech? Where did you start? How did you learn about it? Um, and I'd, I'd love to hear uh, about your journey. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm going to take 25 years and try to break it down in two minutes or less. But, you know, when I think about my life, I, I grew up here in New York. My parents were uh, a doctor and a lawyer, and I knew that I wanted to do neither with my life. And so I went off to the University of Wisconsin, and I spent two years having the best time of my life. And then they sat me down one day and said, you know what, Like, you should really think about this thing called a career, and what do you want to do with your life? And I sent a bunch of resumes to a bunch of media companies because I thought entertainment media were really cool and interesting. And I didn't know what that meant. And in a moment of just pure kismet, Lindy Acarino pulled my resume off a pile. She called me in. She interviewed me. She was a first-time sales manager. This was 1997 and hired me as the unpaid intern at NBC for the summer. There were some pretty influential industry icons hanging around on that floor. At that point, they were early in their careers as well. But yeah, she really opened my eyes to a world that I didn't know existed, which was media and broadcast. And so... I followed her for a couple of years. She's really been an incredible supporter and amazing friend. And then came time to graduate and I, I took a job at the Discovery Channel. And I took a job at the Discovery Channel in the late 90s. It was the peak of the dot-com boom. I was fascinated with this thing called the internet, which didn't exist when I went off to Madison, Wisconsin in the mid-90s, but became really a key part of my day-to-day as Yahoo was a portal to the world. And so if I wanted more information on sports 
or entertainment or music, you know, I could just click a button and all of a sudden my mind was blown off my shoulders with the opportunity to go out and learn. And so, yeah, there was this consumer fascination with this internet and there was a professional fascination with what this thing was going to become because it seemed like a land of opportunity, but it wasn't defined. It was nascent. And the best advice my dad ever gave me was that you can't pay your rent with options. And so where the opportunity to go to a number of companies that today are kind of like punchlines in internet history was there, I opted for the one job that offered to pay me overtime. And so long story short, Discovery was incubating a bunch of digital businesses and they didn't have dedicated resources at that point going out and selling them. And so, you know, I got to really lean in. From there, I spent some time at ESPN, ABC Sports and broadcast, thinking a lot about pricing, planning, and asset management. I spent some time at Condé Nast. I spent some time at Nielsen understanding measurement. But ultimately, the best advice I ever got was that success, no matter what you go do, would be predicated on exposure, relationships, and then ultimately the leverage that came with that. And so as I had entered into a moment of transition in my kind of like mid to late 20s, I thought to myself, the internet is back. The digital businesses seem like they're about to have a renaissance in like 2005, 2006. And so I went to go work at 24-7 Real Media. And little did I know at that point that 24-7 Real Media wouldn't just be a company, but it would actually be the lifestyle that I would live for the next 20 years. And it was a great privilege to work at a company where to my left sat Brian Lesser, and a couple of seats down to my right sat Nicole Pangas and Dave Morris, obviously an industry icon, and there were so many others. But it was this moment in time where DoubleClick got acquired and Right Media got acquired and ultimately 24-7 got acquired by WVP. And it opened the door to so many things, including a relationship that I had with executives at News Corp. And so one day my phone rang and uh, it was a guy named Adam Bain, who's the president of FIM and Fox Interactive Media. And he said, hey, you know, we acquired MySpace thinking it would be the next MTV. But what we realize is that we've got hundreds of millions of users who are pouring all of this data into their profiles. And we're about 80% of all page views on the web. We're going to create something called hyper-targeting. It's going to be audience targeting. It's going to be more relevant ads for marketers and for consumers to really increase and maximize the value of the inventory we've got. And do you want to come be a part of this? We're going to do this on MySpace, but we're also going to extend this off into a third-party environment. And I mean, I didn't even have to blink. Like this was the opportunity of lifetime. And so from there, you know, I got to do some really amazing, innovative things. That business ultimately uh, folded in mid to late 2010. It got traded into what became the Rubicon Project. And I went off to go work at Forbes, spent a couple of years at Forbes, Spent some time at Ad Colony early thinking about mobile. Uh, we all like to joke about the year of mobile, but you know, between 2014 and 2017, for me, it was the year of mobile. Took a little bit of a hiatus to try to become an entrepreneur. Back to Ad Colony for uh, a brief time and about two years, set the company up for another uh, transaction. And then we really started to think about data and privacy and specifically in Europe. So joined Zeotap, spent a year thinking about what that meant. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's the right opportunity, sometimes it isn't. Took a pause, took six months off. Was very fortunate to have the support of a loving wife who works in this industry as well, who said, Hey, you know, go figure out where you're gonna call home. And index has been my home for the past eighteen months. And so that's a long journey, but you know, I think it's um 
it's really been a fulfilling roller coaster ride where I'm grateful for the ups, the downs, and everything in between. I mean, that is a great journey. Discovery, ESPN, Condé Nast, Nielsen, so many more. I think it's pretty incredible. I also think what's incredible is how does it feel to be married to a chief people officer at an agency? Are you constantly getting written up? <laughs> I, you know, I would think you are a little. It, it, it's funny you ask that question because I think it's made me a far better executive. You know, the HR function is something where, you know, for many people in management, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those extra things that you have to do. But I think, you know, when you start to recognize the value of an incredible HR partner and you look at the function and the role and how it can make you more data-driven, far smarter in your approach, but also more empathetic in how you deal with people, it's like having a secret weapon. And so for my wife, who for better or for worse, changed her name to Barish when we got married, she's married to this industry as well. And uh, you right. know, I think there's this incredible intersection between the people that I work with and that includes both internally and externally as partners. And, you know, the people who walk into her office every day and go, hey, you know, uh, you're Matt's wife. Um, I, I see you on social media. And um, they give her loving hugs and treat her like she is an extension of um, friendship that they have with me. That's pretty special. You know, I think I'm really grateful for that as well. For a, a multi-billion dollar industry, it's a very small industry. The relationships that are built here, I think are very different than other industries. When, when I talk to, you know, my neighbor who's, who's a doctor, um, and he has his own network of doctors and his own network of industry professionals that he works with. And I tell him how our industry events are, how our outings are. He's shocked. He says he picked the wrong career and yet I'm still his neighbor. So obviously there's something going on, but I think, I think the, the contacts, the relationships that we build are far more valuable than the technology. The technology just changes every few years, but the relationships and as you watch your peers, as you watch your direct reports and, and your managers move around over the years, it's pretty incredible to see where people land. And I wanted to touch upon one thing you, you mentioned. You mentioned exposure, relationships, and how you could utilize that. How valuable do you think that is in our industry, Matt? The exposure and the relationships that you build to be successful in ad tech. You know, ad tech is, um, it's a funny thing because we spend a lot of our time talking about AI and machine learning and algorithms and really fancy tech terms. But at the end of the day, it's a relationship-based business. And you have to have the trust and, you know, I think the partnership of someone on the other side of that deal to be able to put the ball in play. And so, you know, I think in a world where there's a lot of discussion around AI and how potentially it's going to displace and take the roles that, you know, many professionals have had, I'm not sure I buy that. I think there are definitely functions for it, but I think that it's really important when I talk to employees who are just getting started in their career journey for them to recognize that this business is a long game. And your career is a long game. And, you know, I joke around, you know, advertising is a, it's an imperfect science. 
It was back when David Ogilvie was talking about it with half of his advertising being wasted and not knowing which half. I haven't seen the click-through rate increase over the past 20 years, even though we've added tons of complexity to try to dress it up. And you know what that means is that when I sit down with a prospect, a client, a partner, or even a competitor, that there is a level of trust, a level of respect, but also you know this recognition that we're all trying to achieve the same goals, and how do we help each other get there? And I think it's really important to reflect on that because you know ultimately it's a tough business. It's important to be supportive. Not everyone's going to win. I think that's just the reality of uh, any industry. But you know, we also work in a world which is built on standards, and those standards require collaboration. And collaboration is really a byproduct of the relationships that you've got. I don't think you could have said that better. I agree with you. I think it is a long, long game. I, I, I also do agree with you that it, it's the trust that you build with your partners, who eventually turn into friends, who then turn into partners again. That is so valuable. In the end, you you look at all of the technology companies that are out there, and yes, there are benefits to some. Yes, there are bells and whistles to some companies that provide something unique. But in the end, the deals you strike are really done with the people that you trust. The commercial terms are fair. The legal language is fair. And they're people that you genuinely enjoy working with. You are not just creating a partnership, you're really creating a marriage for the benefit of both parties. And so I agree with you 100%. I think the way you put that was uh, incredible. So I think that that was uh, great feedback, Matt. High praise coming from you. I appreciate that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy who's constantly paranoid about my future after doing this. So uh, it, it's good to hear that it's a long game. And 10 years from now, I'll look back and probably laugh that I even did this. Um, we'll, laugh. we'll laugh together. We'll laugh together. What are some of the the major milestones that that you feel are you're very proud of having been doing this for so long major successes if any even particular deals or any particular partnerships or it, it's interesting because you're not the first person to ask me that this month and um you know when you look back on companies like ESPN ABC Sports where I had the rare opportunity to go out and be a part of a team that sold ads in a Super Bowl that's a very unique like we'll call it bragging rights, right? Like there aren't a ton of people in this industry that can say, hey, like I've been a part of a team that sold ads in the Super Bowl. And, you know, I was a sports guy that had an interest in fashion and then I became a fashion guy with an interest in sports. And so going off to Condé Nast and, you know, starting to think about how you could sell the back cover of the September issue of Vogue, pretty unique, right? You know, not something you talk about every day. And so, you know, when you take the two of those and you compound those, that's like, awesome stuff to talk about, whether you're talking to your industry colleague or you're talking to your neighbor at the block party. It's something that I think, you know, kind of resonates universally. But yeah, there have been a couple of deals that stand out. Number one was, you know, back in the late, I don't know, like we'll call it 2008, 2009 period, you know, Facebook was just starting to get off the ground and, and really move into, you know, hyperscale mode. And, you know, as Facebook became the gold standard for social networks, um, they had actually, they, they had been running display ads. And those display ads were run by a partnership with Microsoft and, you know, the brain behind the technology that uh, monetized that auction environment was a guy named Jeff Green, who had sold his company called AdECN to Microsoft. And so, you know, sitting at 
News Corp and MySpace and having conversations with Jeff Green and the team at Microsoft around how MySpace could help Facebook with their problem of solving billions upon billions of ad impressions every day. It's one of those well-kept secrets that people don't talk about in this industry where a lot of what we do is largely thanks to the fact that MySpace was, you know, so relevant and had such a massive, you know, supply scale that, you know, it gave birth to an industry that had tons of ad networks and tons of, you know, properties that would give marketers reach. And, you know, when I look at Lumascape, I think there are any number of founders and companies on that page that, uh, you know, can really give thanks to to MySpace as being the origin of, of much of what they do. But, you know, look, I mean, Ad Colony was an amazing moment in thinking about, you know, what mobile meant and what gaming meant to marketers and brands. And, you know, I look at the mobile space and the traditional ad tech space as being bifurcated markets. I think very few companies have been able to cross that chasm and effectively take gaming and marketers and get them to buy into it. There's a legacy stigma attached to anything that's, quote, rewarded or incentivized. But at the same time, you know, I think we're all gamers in some effect. So there are just a ton of things that I think I feel really good about over the past 20 years. But mostly it comes back to sitting like kind of at the forefront of innovation at this industry. And so, you know, whether it was running the first programmatic transactions through our business at the Fox Audience Network or thinking about how mobile became programmatic in 2014, 2015, there have been a number of changes and, you know, it's right time, right place, a little bit of luck, a little bit of skill, but ultimately I think um, incredibly fulfilling along the way. Incredible. This is Ari Papero from Architecture. I'm happy to introduce you to OKO Digital, the sponsor of this podcast. OKO is the leading Google certified publishing partner for CTV. Are you stuck with an ad stack that isn't driving incremental revenue? OKO can dramatically improve your CTV and out-of-home revenue with its direct demand and plug-and-play setup. OKO works with Fast Channels, Roku, Set-Top Boxes, Digital Out-of-Home, Amazon Fire TV, and streaming applications, and is compatible with all ad servers. Visit OKO.net to learn more. That's OKO.net. So everybody's usually very comfortable about talking highlights and success. What are some of the challenges you faced or are facing now in the industry, in your current or past role that you feel is, is a challenge that can be solved, but you often find it frustrating or, or, or difficult to move through? Um, I'd love to hear about some of the challenges you've had. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, when I grew up, I mentioned that my parents were a lawyer and a doctor and um, they had careers. They went to the same desk every day for as long as I could remember. And, you know, I think about growing up in, in the mid nineties, early nineties and thinking, you know, I would follow in their footsteps, meaning I would have a place that I would call home that I would go to that, you know, probably, you know, I'd, I'd retire at. And what I learned early on was that your career doesn't have to be linear. And so, you know, as the media business and whether that was, broadcast at the time, print at the time, it became digital with evolution, started to become more expansive, opportunity became more expansive. And so, you know, no one really warned me that 
your career wasn't a straight line, but it was more of a zig and a zag. And so, you know, with that, sometimes you're going to make some good choices and you're going to make some smart bets. And, you know, I think in this industry, we're all gamblers to some degree, whether you're gambling on yourself to be successful in roles, whether gambling on companies and founders who you go to work for, who will set you up for success. And, you know, that has different definition. Sometimes those bets pay off, but sometimes they don't. And when they don't, it's really easy to be hard on yourself, to reflect and look back and say, hey, you know, um, I should have taken a left when I took a right. And it's really hard to look at the people around you and go, hey, you know, we live in an industry where more often than not, people are projecting success, but there's some level of challenge. And, you know, what used to be a fairly simple and straightforward digital economy has seen massive layers of complexity. It's a business in an industry that always saw forecasts go up and to the right. And all of a sudden, those forecasts and those trends may not look as strong in terms of that signal. And so, you know, I think it's really important for people to understand that this is really, uh, you know, it's an industry that's based on, like I said, standards earlier, but there's an important like sort of notion of empathy. And, you know, how do you take care of yourself? How do you think about, you know, work-life balance? How do you think about sound mind, sound body? How do you think about, you know, life outside of that joke that I made earlier around this industry being 24-7? The internet never sleeps, right? You know, your campaigns never stop. But how do you get your brain to stop? And so, you know, I think I've taken really, I think, extreme steps to understand how do you harness some of that for myself, how to really kind of like recognize and understand healthy habits, understand boundaries and separation. And while, you know, it may feel as though I'm immersed in the business that I'm in, I'm very conscious around, you know, do I get enough sleep at night? You know, do I turn off notifications that aren't necessary on my phone? How do I optimize my brain? Because, you know, again, like people talk a lot about, you know, perhaps running marathons or going to the trainer, but they don't talk enough about going to the therapist. The best thing I ever did was I tethered myself to uh, a PhD at Columbia who was under, he, he was studying social media and I worked at a social media company. And so, you know, the two of us had aligned interests and, you know, he helped me to understand what is social media how to harness it and how to make something great out of it, but also how to ensure that I was protecting myself because, you know, it can be a very toxic, very challenging place if you put yourself out there. I mean, the, the, the toxicity part for me, I think I've been very aware of what is and is not toxic. I think the biggest challenge for me over the last, I would say, year, not initially, has been as as this continues to increase in, in the audience that listens, as the exposure increases, I'm finding it very, very hard to disconnect. Meaning 5 a.m. in the morning, I'm connected. I'm announcing a partnership or a sponsor. I'm reviewing the podcast before it goes live. 10 o'clock at night, I'm confirming everything is working. And I'm finding those days really blending into each other. So you'll, you'll see me at times say, I'm disconnecting. See you in three days. And the reason for it is the 24-7 is incredible, all while maintaining a job and working 40, 
45 hours a week. So it is a challenge. It is a balance. It is a balance. And social media never shuts down. Um, it's been fun and, and I enjoy it. But the, the one thing I want to caveat there is that, you know, um, I think social media is a platform and, you know, you use it and you do amazing things with it. I've used it very deliberately and very intentionally over the past, you know, decade or so where, you know, I think it's really good to have opinions. It's really good to engage in discourse and conversations, but you have to do it in a respectful, smart way. And, you know, where I agree. my day job is, you know, I'm super focused on my day job. You know, I want to make sure that I, you know, get the most out of the meetings that I'm in and the conversations that I'm having and, you know, make sure that, you know, I am an index first employee and, you know, and everything right. I do and say in a social channel you know, I do so with incredible responsibility because, you know, we have a couple hundred employees and, you know, I want to set the right tone. I want to ensure that what I say is in line with uh, our corporate values. You know, there are definitely some messaging that is distinctly Matt, like when I spew hate at the Mets or the Jets or the Knicks. But there's, you know, a lot that's aligned with, I think, our goals and objectives as a company as part of the industry conversation. And so, you know, there's a fine line and a real balancing act, but um, it's really something we're lucky to have today because, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't out there and, uh, you know, it wasn't a tool that people could tap into. I agree. It's incredible. And Matt, as, as we reach a, a little bit further than, you know, 80, 90% of this podcast, I have a topic where we talk about the trends for the industry. You mentioned a little bit about AI. In a few minutes, what direction do you see the industry heading in specific to maybe index exchange or just general connected TV and streaming? But where do you see things heading and what trends are you seeing that uh, shed a positive light on, on the industry? Yeah, I think the past 18 months have been a you know, massive paradigm shift for how programmatic has, number one, really just become synonymous with digital, right? I, I don't know how you feel about this, and I'd, I'd be curious to pick your brain on this, but you know, for me... Like, I don't know that I think about programmatic as just being carved off portion of a digital investment. I think they're kind of synonymous, right? They're kind of one and the same at this point. I agree with you. I don't separate the two. I think when we talk about digital, in, in my mind, I'm thinking programmatic. And when I talk about programmatic, I'm thinking digital. I, I, I think in, in the end, that is really the, the, the core foundation of the industry. How we utilize what we buy, where we buy, when we buy really is all powered by programmatic. And as, as we see connected TV move into more powerful, targeted programmatic buying, I think it's just a staple for our industry. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's the perfect segue, right? Where as the programmatic industry over the past decade or so has largely been relying on the open marketplace and opportunistic spend because the algorithm fished out users because addressability is high, strength of signal is high, you know, there's really high fidelity. Now what you've got is, you know, you've got with that paradigm shift, I think directionally spend that's, you know, shifting out of that open marketplace, whether that's because of cookie deprecation, whether it's because of, you know, this overarching belief that holding companies and technology partners want to do more with fewer, whether that's consolidation, you've got reservation-based media. And so whether that's programmatic guaranteed, whether it's deals, you have spend moving 
from the marketer and the agency to the publisher in a way which has clearly defined pricing and clearly defined you know targets, but in a way that has, I think, far more accountability than the open marketplace did. And so, yeah, that for me is the number one paradigm shift that I've witnessed over the past 18 months, largely driven by CTV. And so CTV has been fantastic. It is the most exciting, disruptive channel change to hit digital since I've been a part of it. You know, having this broadcast background once upon a time and thinking a lot about price integrity and thinking about controls, that's the next evolution of this, which is how publishers really lean into programmatic, not just as a mechanism for monetization, but workflow and order entry and really more operational efficiencies as they look to do more with holding companies and holding companies look to tighten up their business at a time where, you know, it's been a little bit of a rough patch. And so, you know, I think the next 24 months are going to be fascinating to see how the two meet in the middle. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be, it's going to be a wild ride, but, um, it is going to be a wild ride. I think we're both buckled up and, uh, we're both buckled up. You know, can't change the direction of things. Can't change regulation. It's sparking a ton of innovation, creativity. I, I think we're going to find a, a middle ground of trying to figure it out, and that's fine. And that might be a phase that we go through as we try to figure out the right way to do things over the next uh, six, 12 months. But the reality is, is that we're not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> this is only growing. More investments are shifting to connect the TV. I, I think we have a very bright future ahead of us. And um, it'll be fun to see how it all shakes out over the next year. Yeah. I mean, the amount of disruption and acceleration over the past four years is just unprecedented, right? You know, and so when you start to think about the ways that consumers shifted their behaviors in 2020 and how we've gotten to where we are today as we are on the cusp of 2024, I'm not sure that anyone in this industry was prepared. And so, you know, I think in many ways we're living in a right now environment and a right now CTV economy. And ultimately, that'll shake out into the right. And, you know, what the right looks like will involve some level of, you know, I think mutually agreed upon measurement that isn't there today. It will uh, involve, I think, more advanced standards. And I think, you know, in many ways, it will involve a very different knowledge base for professionals in this business. And when I say that, it's because, you know, I have this fundamental belief that ad tech and media have not always understood one another. And so if you walk down the halls of a, you know, take your pick, any given ad tech company, and you ask how media gets planned, how it gets invested, how it gets activated, how it gets reconciled, I think that workflow is kind of foreign. And so there's an opportunity for education. We can all get smarter. We can all understand how our customers think. We can all understand how, you know, broadcast, which has been really kind of the the massive target for digital for the past 20 years, how that business works and how right. we refine it in our world so that the two fit together and couple in a way that I think creates a bunch of uh, really innovative, really interesting opportunities for businesses to start to boom. I agree. Any final words of inspiration for people currently in ad tech in terms of improving their careers, uh, strengthening themselves and their knowledge as, as the industry changes very, very quickly. 
any advice for those people, the aspiring and the current that work in our space? Yeah, I think um, find a mentor. I think uh, it's really important to you know develop relationships with people who have experience who will invest their time to see you thrive. And, you know, how do they buy into what you're doing? Read a lot. I spend a ton of time when I'm on the subway, uh, when I'm walking down the street, consuming information, right? So when I'm not listening to the Ad Tech God pod, I'm listening to Marketecture. And by the way, you know, Ari Paparo still hasn't had me on his podcast. So you have. So thank you for that. But he doesn't even drop me every week. So, you know, this is retaliation. But, you know, in hindsight, I think, you know, if you look at my social feeds, they all say you can observe a lot by watching. Start to really hone in on the people who you think get it. Start to right. listen to them and start to recognize the patterns because, you know, if you start to deploy them and call them your own, you'll create your own signature, you'll create your own trademark, and you'll be great. You know, Matt, I, I, I posted on X maybe a year ago. I said, I learned more on Twitter than I do at my job. There is so much content and so much value for the back and forth, whether it's bantering, opinions, comments. It's unbelievable what you can learn by just reading, with just being observant, making a comment, seeing how people react, seeing their opinions and perspectives on things. I agree with you 100%. Reading as a core is important, and mentorship is also very important. Reading is fundamental. But, you know, the other part that I would add to that, not to not to cut you off, but like who you also can interact with and get to know, right? I you, agree. Know, you know, Twitter and X create accessibility. And, uh, you know, there's an on-ramp for people who may not be able to get in the room with a Matt Barish or an ad tech god. You know, if you shoot me a message, more often than not, I'm going to be responsive. So I encourage people to reach out. You know, I think mentorship is super important. I think mental health is super important. And, you know, I want to be a friend to the industry. So if there's anything I can ever do for anyone listening to this, shoot me a note. I'm here. I respond to every one of them. Thank you, Matt. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking time out of your day. I'm really looking forward to speaking to you soon. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ad Tech God Pod, a podcast for the people about the people that make ad tech great. Stay connected with me for more insights, trends, and interviews in the realm of ad tech. Don't miss out on our latest updates. So follow me on X, Instagram, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Don't forget, ATG Slack community has insights, networking opportunities, and jobs. Keep the conversation going and stay at the forefront of ad tech innovation.